Hey, everyone, and welcome to IBM Think Leaders podcast. Had a really good discussion that I think you'll enjoy. Today, I was talking to Ivy Machow. She is the founder of Evermind AI. We were talking all about trust, bias in AI, being inclusive, AI for good, and really how AI potentially could cause us to be more human. So I hope you enjoy. Happy listening. Hey, everyone, and welcome to IBM Think Leaders podcast. For our conversation today, we're talking all about NLP and then specifically around uh, the future of voice. I'm really excited today to be talking to Ivy Maoshao. So uh, Ivy, welcome to IBM Think Leaders podcast. Thank you so much for having me, David. I think to kind of start off our, our conversation, Ivy, I know you're the founder of Evermind AI. Love to kind of just give a little context for for today's conversation. Well, Evermind AI is really what that next generation of Jarvis could be for young people. So first and foremost, it is a voice journaling app and kids and people can just use it as a sounding board. They can use it to capture a fleeting sensation or a feeling or a thought or they can use it to reflect at the end of the day by talking about what had happened earlier. It is kind of like talk therapy in its simplest sense. And we all know this, that aside from access issues, you know, there are large populations that are completely underserved in terms of how digital applications could be a therapeutic and how that can actually help improve people's mental health. I feel like Evermind is in the right place to provide those services. You mentioned people putting in their fleeting thoughts, using this as a a live journal. Why do you think that would be beneficial? And also, what can AI glean from some of this? If we think about why talking out loud and articulating your feelings is beneficial, we can, you know, go back to the days when we used to do that in diaries, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about the route from us just having a thought in our head Mm -hmm. to a piece of email, which we write hundreds, you're very much involved in this thinking route of going from a thought to typing. Uh, We're totally not using our voice aside from exactly what we're doing now, which is, you know, this is is a podcast. So we're actually having a conversation. I don't feel like technologies are really facilitating in that level of taking our thoughts and feelings in very authentic projections through the voice, we're doing so much self-editing with emails and Mm -hmm. anything text-based. How that translates in using machine learning is, you know, we are probably not really teaching a lot of algorithms how to understand human emotions, (laughs) right? We're we're teaching them a lot of other things. Like, where are my Amazon Prime deliveries? I feel like that creates a lot of good routinized models for how to make standard transactional things efficient. Mm -hmm. But as we know, the human emotions are so complex and there's nothing efficient about (laughs) feelings. Having Evermind positioned in a way that can start to train our models to to be empathetic and to have the human sense and tone is one way of us getting to that generalized artificial intelligence. So how how far along the line of understanding kind of the emotion of somebody's voice do you think we are? I'll give you an example. Like if Ivy, if you said, hey, do you understand what I'm talking about? And I say, yeah, you know, maybe that means yes. Or if I said, yeah, 
then I said it sarcastically, right? So I'm curious where you think we are in kind of understanding the actual emotion behind that, because then it's not as clean as, you know, something kind of more algorithmically defined. For the majority of how voice AI has been used, and it hasn't really been that long, for the most part, it's been widely used. And there are a lot of historical contexts that we can glean from, from the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Because... We don't have fully autonomized vehicles to kind of drive us. So the driver attention on the road is still very much critical. Mm -hmm. And how AI has helped on that front is it's now doing a lot of different things. More than just using voice-activated commands to make sure that the driver is still paying attention on the road, there's stuff like facial recognition to understand the alertness level of the driver and their distractibility. If we think about AI or machine learning in the ways of not just really understanding what you were just saying, the linguistics, like yeah. what David is saying when he goes, yeah, <laughs> to when he's saying something like, yeah, that kind of tonal quality, just as we're saying that we can glean from giving the models, let's say eyes, like yeah. to, to read our faces, the added dimensions of triangulations, what will be really important. Voice is just really one aspect of being able to understand the deeper meanings of how people are feeling and sensing. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you overlay on top of that with eyes and reading to the facial expressions, I think that's another layer. Where do you think we, we are right now in, in kind of increasing the diversity of our, of our data sets to lessen AI bias? I'd be curious where you think we are and maybe where we're headed. When it comes to broadening the horizon and broadening the viewpoints of people, we should do that similarly with our data sets and what, how we're training these machine learning models. Even just hearing the word bias, immediately my mind is kind of putting it in the wrong than it is in the right, right? Like mm -hmm. you want to label it as wrong or good, bad or better bias when it comes to helping with the diversity of data and for machine learning to be very open-minded mm -hmm. and have a broader sense of the world, that is good. But it's, it's not without judgment, right? Like biases come from our need to reduce the complexity of the world. So, you know, the thinking fast and slow train of thought, it's like there are times when we do have to think fast and there are times when we have to kind of take it a little slow to make sure that we're not reacting. Mm -hmm. For AI, similarly, there's the, the faster thinking and then there's the slower thinking. And I think it's about combining both of those parallels. You know, I noticed that a lot of what Evermind does relies on biofeedback to improve emotional and, and social skills. I'd be curious, Ivy, to kind of expand on that. What, what are some of the biofeedback kind of markers uh, or ways that you go about utilizing that? The biofeedback is an idea of exactly triangulating the language in which the person's speaking, the words that are being used, but also understand the, the tonal quality with which those words are being said. Mm -hmm. The feedback here comes in that you would attempt to understand that David's version of excitement will be <laughs> different than Ivy's version of excitement, right? Like there are times when, let's just say, if I'm really excited about something, I'm just completely caught off guard and I'm doing a lot of internal processing. And this is how I might sound when I'm really excited. Oh my God. 
that does <laughs> sound right. like excitement. But am I sensing 100% of that excitement inside? Yes, I am. The biofeedback that Evermind will attempt to build out is to create a very unique voice profile for the individual. So if we're saying that just based off of everything that we already have on the phone, you know, we're already doing a lot of biometrics like heart rate, kinetic movement, because we have accelerometer inside the phone. The type of that biofeedback we can start to build out will be related to the movement the user has mm-hmm. as they're talking, right? If you're one of those philosophical walker thinkers, you're probably walking and talking a lot, or you're talking with your hands, as I am doing right now. <laughs> you know, the biofeedback will be a layer of that kind of flow and movement that Mm -hmm. the physiology can give a hint to on the phone and also the actual cadence and tempo in which I'm saying certain things. These things are, as we were saying, talking about human emotions, they're so nuanced. So I think first and foremost, it's for, for that initial baseline of a voice profile to be generated. And then every time as Evermind is listening to you, you understand, okay, so I think I got David's excitement voice yeah. <laughs> just right. And I'll probably ask you a few different questions to make sure that I'm getting it right. This is funny to say, but it, it needs you will need to listen to you quite a bit for it to be getting to that level of accuracy. And how comfortable do you think people are right now with speaking to a AI agent or something that's not another person. I'm curious then what's the relationship we have with our, uh, you know, kind of digital agents. I think it comes down to the person. On the one hand, you have this emergence of younger generations who, if anything, they probably don't have that definitive of a boundary of when they're speaking to a technology or a device or when they're talking to people. I mean, obviously they will know they're talking to a machine. But it's also dependent on um, like what is your objective when you do communicate or share your darkest secrets with <laughs> a device. Is your motivation self-discovery? Mm-hmm. Is your motivation something much more profound and a little deeper that you think the app or the technology you're using can deliver? So I, I feel like when the value proposition is set very clearly up front and slowly it's delivering on that, there's probably not too much of a resistance, in my opinion, that people will feel like, oh, you know what, They're, I don't think I want to use it like this. If this is going to help you understand yourself better, to help you navigate through certain emotional encounters, mm-hmm. and it actually is delivering on all of those fronts, then if anything, you will probably want to share more. What you find with a lot of AI agents, as you know, is we tend to give them relatable names typically, like this is the person you're talking to. If it's Bank of America, you're talking to Erica. I'm curious of your thought process around that. That's a good one just because if conceptually we think about, we're using a lot of terminologies, for example, deep learning or neural networks. We're doing a lot of like one-to-one mapping of how we are as physical organisms to machines. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those labels sometimes help because, you know, conceptually you're like, okay, that analogy, I get the picture. I get all the other things that aren't said just by ways of the label is giving me enough hints of how it behaves and works. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like the personalifications are definitely needed for, for us to kind of gain that initial sort of trust. I feel like obviously trust needs to be built over time, but that initial interface of it sounding like it's an embodied being by having a human name Mm -hmm. is a very quick way of establishing some kind of human rapport. So then you're able to actually further engage in the experience. From Evermind's perspective, what do you think could get in the way of trust? So for example, if you're telling somebody to journal their thoughts, that's obviously trying to get them to be relatively vulnerable to this AI. I'm curious then of what your thinking is with ensuring that they feel like this is a trustworthy platform or person, if you will, that they could have this conversation with. That's another big one, which is complicated in the realms of when you're building a product that touches the lives of young people who are minors. The legality and compliance aside, if we just go down to the level of why would I trust to give my data or in this instance, all my most vulnerable moments and thoughts to Evermind. Mm-hmm. Well, it needs to first and foremost tell me that it's listening. <laughs> yeah. Listening before it's doing anything else, right? Like you like talking to some of your friends more than others <laughs> is when you know, when you know they're good listeners, they're actually listening. Mm-hmm. Because with that then comes the next level of engagement, which is validation. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to tell me that everything I'm saying is right, but I just want you to let me know that you are hearing, you're actually hearing what I'm saying. I feel like trust then is slowly earned by Evermind establishing the fact that it's it's listening and it's actually hearing what you have to say. Mm-hmm. The trust is slowly gained when it's always telling you that you're being heard. Mm-hmm. And, and however you're feeling however different emotions that you're sensing, there's no right or wrong to those emotions. They're your thoughts and feelings and Evermind needs to honor that. Mm -hmm. And by honoring them, I think that's how we kind of get people to open up more and see the true value in what Evermind's trying to deliver. I'd be curious then, Ivy, what caused you to found this company? What was the kind of origin of why you thought this was something that is, is so needed that you are making this your life's work? The reason why I, I'm doing all the stuff that we've been talking about, and also obviously Evermind being positioned to help the mental wellness of young people, is that I, I feel like we don't talk about the human potential much. I think that if we can have more technologies that's kind of hinged on that, Evermind, for the most part, aside from providing this safe, consistent outlet for people to essentially, it's making self-discovery safe and creative and necessary, that it, it's answering a much bigger thing, which mm-hmm. is we need to remember how in times of need, especially now, mm-hmm. there are going to be times when You just need to catch that moment of buoyancy Mm -hmm. and you'll be okay. The potential really lies in you being okay from this moment to the next moment to the next moment consistently, or Mm -hmm. at least knowing the tools to kind of help you regulating that in that way. Mm -hmm. Potential is really the sum of you being able to purposely regulate yourself from moment to days, two weeks, two months, because then 
it's from doing that consistently that you're gaining resilience, right? And I think the origin story that for me is I had to grow up really, really fast. I had a very unusual upbringing. And being put in the pressure cooker to have to grow up really fast means that I I had to worry about how I was Mm self-regulating. And I think we can all use more tools like that to help us. Well, that's what I'm curious about, Ivy. A rising need for this, quote-unquote, AI for good. Kind of refocusing some of the development and money spent on artificial intelligence to ensure that it's trying to tackle some of the largest issues facing society. Where do you see your work in this space? I mean, what are some of the biggest areas you think that we should should be tackling or can tackle with, uh, with AI? It comes down to how you're framing the product. Obviously, we all need to kind of play in some specific categories for them to be defined enough so people understand the value propositions when they sign up to use something. But right now, in the category of wellness, we have an oversaturation of products and they're all very good for their specific needs. But we do have an oversaturation of products that are still very much doing very transactional things. And by Mm -hmm. transactional, I don't mean commerce. By transactional, I mean the time horizon of what those products are trying to answer are very short. I think it's when we have a longer trajectory then we move from, I just need to be okay this week to, I need to be okay this week and the next week. And then I need something to help me understand how I will carry on for the next couple of months to the rest of my life. When you start to kind of have that broadened time horizon, I think then we're asking more of the right questions of how AI can be good. I see that a lot of your work is also informed by quote unquote ethical AI or making sure that our tools are uh, more considerate of some of these ethical discussions or ethical guidelines that are going on. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. From your perspective, what are what are some of the biggest issues you think we're facing with AI ethics? And uh, you know, what are some of the movements that you're seeing uh, on your end? I think that we're always going to be hearing debates about what is the right moral compass to adhere to when it comes to emerging technologies? We're dealing with people's data. Mm-hmm. So it's a much bigger stake now where if we're talking about people's psychology, mm-hmm. as Evermind is going to kind of be in the realm of hearing all your thoughts, how you're feeling, how you're sensing. If you're able to establish what the tool is meant to deliver and have people being educated enough to know, okay, well, when I'm listening to you, your daily conversations, or if you're just telling me, divulging to me about your thoughts, these are the things that I'm listening on. I feel like AI companies have always been quick to proclaim that we're not selling your data. We're, you know, we're using data for useful things. Mm -hmm. So it's about separation of content versus context. I can tell you right now that Evermind does not care about the content. It does not care about your actual thoughts word to word to word. It cares about the context of what you're sharing. Ethics come when you go back to the context of why you're listening in, why you're gathering certain data. 
not the content of that data. Because I feel like it's when we get to that content level, then that becomes hacked in the way that revenues become the top of mind instead of the true user value. So Ivy, I really want to uh, thank you for this conversation today and coming on IBM Think Leaders podcast. Thank you, David. Hey, thank you for listening to IBM Think Leaders podcast. We really appreciate it. And if you do like it, feel free to tell your friends to subscribe, uh, share one of your, your favorite episodes. So again, thank you. <laughs>